I'm on the Lupron and I'm having a really hard time. Uncontrollable sobbing, really rageful outbursts. It was really scary. And I told Connor, I'm like, I need to tell them that they need to pull me off of this or give me a different dose. And so we went in for our appointment and we go in to see the doctor and she's like, okay, explain to me what's going on. And I tell her and she was like, yeah, so you're too far in and I I can't do anything for you. Welcome to the Wellness Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, and I'm excited to take you on a journey to reclaiming and reconnecting to your magic, the magic of your health, your wealth, and your soul's purpose. As a woman's wellness coach and business mentor, I've been coaching women for over 15 years, helping them rediscover their innate abilities to heal, to transform, and to manifest their deepest desires. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of inspiration and information diving into the multifaceted approach of what it means to live to our fullest potential. Let's do this. This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome to November 1st. Oh my God, I can't believe we are literally nearing the end of 2022. It is so crazy to me how time has just gone by so freaking fast. And I'm actually so excited for the upcoming holidays. I love the holiday season, taking two weeks off over Christmas and just being with family and friends and my hubby and my animals and enjoying the downtime and the coziness. You guys know I don't love the cold weather, but making the absolute best of it. Now, before we dive into our episode today and I share more about our epic guest, I wanted to let you know that the doors are open to the Naturally Nourished online program. I am so excited to finally bring this program to you and have it available. I've been working on it for months and it has been quite some time since I spent time creating a program to really dive into thyroid health and hormones and metabolism. This program is not something you join so that you can feel caught up in diet culture and needing a meal plan to follow. This is the opposite. This is about connecting to your inner wisdom and to your intuition because it knows what it needs. And we've gotten so disconnected from that. And I really want to spend time reconnecting you to that inner wisdom. This program is all about pro-metabolic health, reconnecting to ancestral living and ancestral eating, and really just honoring our body, honoring the seasons, honoring the changes and the symptoms that are showing up. And again, truly finding ways to quiet the noise, all the external confusion and overwhelm in the diet world so that you can reconnect to your innate wisdom and trust your body relearn how to trust your body again. I think we've gotten so far away from that. So I'm really excited for this. It is a self-paced program that you can work your way through, diving into pro-metabolic foundations, nutrition, thyroid health and metabolism, liver detox, how to check your temperature and your pulse, adrenal support, We've got delicious recipes available for you, of course, and every month I will be hosting a Naturally Nourished Women's Circle call, and you can join us on that call, and we'll be diving into different topics. We'll have guest speakers, and it's just going to be a beautiful community for you to reconnect to your body and optimize and heal your thyroid and your metabolism and your hormones overall. So if you'd like to come join us, head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash naturally nourished. All right, switching gears to my guest today, who is the co-owner of Soulfire Productions, and that is who produces our podcast, Kelly Moore. She has been on this podcast before, uh, quite some time back, and we were chatting about her health journey and autoimmune, and today we're having a very different conversation. Today we're talking about her fertility journey. And I'm so grateful for her to be able to open up and be really transparent and share the journey that she has gone through, the challenges that she has faced with getting pregnant and the decision to go the IVF route and what that process has really looked like for her. And some of the things that she really wants women to be aware of when it comes to IVF, prepping your body. And we also talk about self-advocacy in the medical system, asking questions and really trusting our bodies 
and knowing how to advocate for ourselves when we are in our doctor's office, especially when it comes to something like IVF that is complex and complicated and it can really change your hormones and your body and you can go through so many ups and downs. We talk about how this process has impacted her relationship, not just with herself, but also with her partner, her postpartum plan. There is a lot that we dive into here. So I'm really excited for it and I really hope that it helps to provide you if you are listening to this on your fertility or pregnancy journey and helps to provide you with some answers and some support. So my guest today is Kelly Moore. She's the co-founder and CEO of Soulfire Productions, the premier podcast network for thought leaders, free thinkers, and visionaries. She's been the host of two top-rated podcasts, The Kelly Show and OK Babe, and she is deeply passionate about helping people see themselves more clearly. She believes in setting ourselves free from expectations, people-pleasing, and the stories that hold us hostage in our own lives. She is also an Emmy award-winning former sports TV host with an eye for truth and an ear for bullshit. She loves creating life-changing experiences for audiences and holding space for creatives to seek deeper within and become the most genuine expression of themselves. So without further ado, let's dive in to our episode with Kelly. Enjoy. Hello, Kelly. Welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a hot minute. (laughs) It has been. I was looking in my archives. I'm like, you are here on episode 74 and I'm on like episode, I don't know, 220 or something like that. So so crazy. So I'm so happy to have you back. And there's been lots of changes in your life, pivoting in business, all sorts of things. So can you give us the Coles notes of what you've been up to? Yeah. I've been up to a lot of things. Still been on my healing journey. And, you know, that looks different in every chapter as I transition. And I've gotten married. I'm pregnant. I'm almost seven months pregnant now. We went through IVF starting at the end of last year. And so, yeah, it's been a lot of things and a lot of, you know, letting go and a deeper sense of surrender and a lot of old patterns and childhood things coming up throughout that. And then, also just, you know, kind of renegotiating my relationship with my body and and just being connected to it as it changes and as I've pumped it full of hormones. And, you know, it's been really interesting. And someone asked me yesterday how I was doing and I said, I feel kind of lost, kind of scattered and all over the place and also the most grounded and clear I've ever been. Mm. So that's kind of where we I are. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so grateful to have you here today. And to share your story and this journey, because I know that there's so many other women who can benefit from, you know, hearing from you. And I'm sure you've learned a lot along the way as well. So we're diving into IVF today. And I'd love it if we can just kind of start at the beginning and whatever that kind of really looks like for you. I'm assuming maybe like you and Connor finally deciding to start a family and maybe like, let's just kind of start there and what that all looked like. Yeah. So we actually, on our first date, we had talked for a while and we had known each other for a couple months and talked. And then on our first date, you know, we felt very connected and put everything out on the table. (laughs) I love it. I'm surprised we didn't say I love you that day. (laughs) Um, We dove all the way in. And in that conversation, he said, hey, just so you know, I can't have kids naturally. And so he told me, you know, everything that he had discovered around 27 years old, that he was born without vas deferens, which is the tube that takes the sperm out when a man ejaculates. And so he still ejaculates, but no sperm come out. Right. And so he realized that because as he likes to say in the most crude Connor way, uh, he was shooting small loads and he knew something had to be wrong. <laughs> right. And he, he was like, I was a super irresponsible for many years. I feel like I should have gotten someone pregnant or at least had a scare and there just never was. And right. so he went to his urologist and got checked and it's a pretty rare issue, but his urologist actually happened to have the same problem. And they had had a child recently through IVF and everything was good. And so he you know, reassured Connor like, hey, when the time comes, I think this won't be an issue. They just have to go in and extract the sperm directly from your, you know, scrotum and then and insert it and, you know, put it with the egg and do the whole thing. And so he told me this. And at the time, 
I didn't realize that that meant IVF. I thought we could do, you know, something different, right? you know, artificial insemination, something like that, that was a little less aggressive based on what I had known at the time. But anyways, going into the relationship, I knew what I was kind of looking at. And I did start doing research into fertility clinics all over the country. And when we moved from LA to Denver, I had already found CCRM, which is where we went. And they have one of their clinics in Denver, which was super helpful. Mm-hmm. And they're one of the you know highest rated, most successful clinics in the country. Amazing. And so I felt really at ease. I was like, great, we're going to have the best doctors. They have a 78% success rate. Like, life is good. Awesome. And we got on the call with our doctor for the first time, just for like a consult. And we explained everything to her. And she's like, so we're going to do IVF. And I'm like, wait, I didn't think we had to because I'm fertile. I've been pregnant before I had an abortion with my ex. And so I said, I didn't think I had to do that. And she goes, no, because of what he has, we can't get enough sperm. IVF is the only way we can do this. And so that rattled me for sure to start because I just knew I was about to put my body through hell. For sure. And so we started those conversations about a year and a half before we were ever going to get pregnant, just so we knew what we were getting ourselves into and could do research. And I, I wanted to prep my body and just mentally wrap my head around it. Right. And so those, you know, those are the things that we did initially just to kind of look into what does this look like, have honest conversations around what it was going to be and just prepare ourselves as best as possible. For sure. Okay. So you mentioned like prepping your body. What did that look like for you? Yeah. So I'm already a, you know, pretty healthy person. We eat mostly paleo, don't drink a lot. I try and limit my caffeine. (laughs) Uh, The addiction is real, as I've learned being pregnant. Yes, I learned. I know. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Um, And then I, you know, work out regularly. So I think it was just more, it was definitely mentally getting in the right place and emotionally. But then also I read this book that was actually written by the creator of CCRM. I think his name is Dr. Schoolcraft. And it's called It Starts With The Egg. And it's a very IVF specific approach. And I love this book because IVF is so Western medicine, very science, lots of needles and drugs and all the things. I'm very holistic and alternative medicine. And so I loved this book because it talks a lot about nutrition, supplements, acupuncture, mental health, all of those things. I think it's, it's basically the best book out there, in my opinion, for IVF. I've seen and bought the other ones and they're terrible. But this gives like a really great holistic approach of how to prepare your body and to make sure that you're getting the right vitamins. And I did a lot of blood testing and blood work before as well, just to make sure that my gut was good. My numbers were normal. I always have really low vitamin D. So I knew I needed to up that. I just took care of all of those things so that going in, I knew my body was in optimal shape to be able to handle the process. Right. For sure. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What about Connor? What did that look like for him? Yeah. So Connor, two things that really impact sperm and sperm count are nicotine and marijuana. We're regular marijuana users. We live in Colorado. There's a dispensary in every corner. (laughs) Um, And so he definitely cut back on that. He also cut back on his nicotine use. He's actually off nicotine completely now, which is amazing. Think hey. the things that happen when you get pregnant and there's a baby on the way, right? <laughs> I'm like, you ooh, like the pressure s- is real. <laughs> totally, you step it up in like yeah. all levels. Um, yeah. So he had limited his nicotine, and then they also put him on. I think it was was it HCG. I think it was HCG that increases men's sperm count. And so the urologist that we were working with here, there's like a specialist that works with the fertility clinic, Mm -hmm. had put him on that just to help increase the sperm count because not that he had low sperm count, but because of the procedure they have to do based on what he has, we wanted the best chance possible. So he was also in the sauna working out. We were eating really clean together. And, you know, so that was kind of his participation in it. I definitely did a lot more and that's just more my forte, you know, but those three things were super important to be able to get the sperm count up and make sure that they were really healthy and everything worked out really well. That's awesome. All right. So take us to, I guess, that initial first IVF like session. Obviously, this is an area that is very new to me. So if you can kind of just take us through, yeah, that first time, what happens? What are you doing? Yeah. What happens is they give you a lot of drugs (laughs) and they're like, 
here you go. Here are seven different pieces of paper to make sure you do this right. And I think the hardest thing, especially in the beginning, is we were like you. We just didn't know that much. As much education as you do and like read online and read books, there's just a lot you don't know until you're in it yourself. For sure. And there, you know, I hate Western medicine. Let's just be honest. And Mm -hmm. I have been in the holistic alternative medicine space for the last six-ish years after healing from chronic illness and being so sick and being very taken advantage of and misled by Western medicine and being given a bunch of pills and drugs at 19 years old. So I kind of knew what to look for in that way. But I think the mistake that we made from the very beginning is that I didn't ask enough questions. I just trusted this process and I don't know why. I think that I was a little desperate in a way, like, oh, well, we can't get pregnant naturally. So here's my power, doctor and facility. Like, you clearly have good success rates. I'll just do whatever you say. I didn't realize that I was in so many ways betraying my body and myself in not asking those questions. I didn't ask enough questions about how the drugs were going to make me feel understanding, you know, the long-term cycling of it, how long it would take my body to come off of them. They said, you have to be on birth control. That was the first pill that they put me on to start IVF. I didn't say, hey, do I have to take this? I haven't been on birth control since I was 27. I'm 34 now. Right. I don't do well on birth control and I also don't believe in it. And I know that it makes me feel bad. I didn't realize how bad it was going to be. And so those are things that I just didn't bring up because I was just like, give me a baby. (laughs) Like, let's, I'll do whatever you say to make this work. And so it was very surface level conversations. There was no talk of make sure you are in therapy, make sure there's an acupuncturist or a chiropractor, you know, really lean on friends. It felt like herding sheep in a way, very transactional. And it was really frustrating now looking back that I just didn't feel emotionally supported. And so I started the birth control and within four days, I was losing my mind. Mm, And, you know, I'm pretty sensitive now because I am so connected to my body. Right. And I know what it feels like to feel good. You know, when you're sick for so long, you're like, I don't even know what it is to feel good. Well, I've been healthy for the last five years. And so I know what it feels like. And it felt like I was almost going back to the beginning of chronic illness in my journey of just disassociation, suicidal thoughts, depression, pain, not seeing straight. And I I mean, I was only on the birth control for three weeks and a week in, I was actually suicidal. I was like, what would happen if I walked up the hill behind her house and shot myself in the head? And I was curled up in a ball in Connor's office one day, I like got away from him because he was just pissing me off. (laughs) And I was just freaking out and I didn't know what to do. And I'm on the phone with two of my closest girlfriends telling them like, I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be married to this man. I don't want to have kids. I don't know why I'm doing this. Mm. And they're just like, literally talk me off the ledge. And I'm just like, what in the hell are we doing? And I had called the office and I had told them what was going on probably two weeks in. And they were like, oh, yeah, so you don't have to do that. You don't actually need to take the birth control. And I was like, excuse me? They were like, yeah, um, it's it's not like 100% necessary. (laughs) And I'm sitting here like wanting to die and thinking, why was this never a fucking option? Why didn't you say, hey, do you have a hard time on birth control? Because if you do, maybe we just don't need to do that part. Also, because you're fucking fertile and this isn't your issue. And let's have a different conversation. So because I had such a hard time, I didn't have to take the birth control when we did the transfer, which thank God, I will never do that again. But that was just like the very beginning. (laughs) And then after I finished the birth control for three weeks, I started all the injections and the other pills. And basically what they do in IVF is it's a constant roller coaster of your hormones. So they want you to hit your low lows. Then they want you to really peak. They want to basically fudge with all your progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, everything, because they're having to naturally mimic things like pregnancy. 
your body's not naturally getting pregnant, so it has to trick your body into doing so. Same thing for an egg retrieval. You basically have to trick your eggs into maturing so that they can get enough eggs out and they're ready to actually be processed and go into insemination. If they don't do that, then you have eggs that aren't ready, you don't get enough, and like, how do you do this, right? And so everything I was taking, I think Lupron is one of the drugs that sends you into menopause. Right. <laughs> the also the worst thing ever aside from birth control that was the hardest thing for me to take. But then you're skyrocketing your estrogen and progesterone levels back and forth and so you're completely unstable and you don't know who you are from one second to the next and it's just it's you're all over the place and you're angry and you're sad. I just remember I had tears coming out of my face one day and I was like, I don't even know. Like, like where are these coming from? I told Connor, mm-hmm. he's like, why are you crying? I'm like, I have no idea. I, I don't even feel like I'm even producing these tears. Like, I don't know where they're coming from. It was wow. so out of body and so weird. And so then once we did the transfer or once we did the egg retrieval, I went, all in Organifi. I was like Organifi all day, every day in the sauna, every single day, like just trying to cleanse my body. And I think luckily because I am healthy, I was able to bounce back pretty quickly after the first round. Not that everything was out of my system because as you know, like this takes forever. Takes time. Yeah. But I at least felt some relief, some stabilization. I just felt a little more clear headed. But that first round was, I mean, that was just so brutal. I can imagine. Yeah. Okay. So many things. Number one, (laughs) I appreciate your transparency and I'm so grateful that you were, you had people and friends that you can call during that time where you felt like it wasn't worth living. And so I think that that's, you know, really important. And for anybody considering this journey, like having that support group is clearly very important. So thank you for like sharing that and for reaching out to friends and and having that honest conversation with them. Can we understand like timelines? So like when you're starting all of these pills, like how far in advance do you need to start that to like based on when you could potentially be getting pregnant? Like what's kind of like the timeline there? Yeah. So the timeline, and it's a little different at every clinic. So this isn't across the board, but this is kind of, I think this is probably fair for me to say based on what we did at CCRM. I started the medication about four to five weeks-ish, depending on your ovulation, before the egg retrieval. And then before the transfer, it's a little longer. I think it was almost seven weeks before the transfer that I had to go back on a bunch of drugs. And then every clinic handles this part differently. So they, our clinic matures the embryos before they do the implant. So they require, I think it's eight weeks between the egg retrieval, sperm retrieval, embryo creation, and the transfer. Other clinics will do it day of. So I think it just depends on what they want to do. You can also do the egg and sperm retrieval, create the embryos and then wait because they basically just freeze your embryos. They do all the testing. They figure out how many survive. So say you start with, I think we had, I had like 30 something eggs retrieved and I can't, I think Connor had around 20 sperm. And then they basically take that and go through really rigorous testing And then that's what you end up with at the end is the number of embryos. And so once the embryos are frozen, my understanding is you can, you know, wait years because obviously we got multiple embryos. We used one, but we still have a bunch that we can use, you know, when we get pregnant the second time. And then if we want to have more kids. So that's kind of the timeline. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So like you're, it's basically months of having to take pills. Yeah. Yeah, the whole Yeah, and that was really one of the hardest things is like, so we had a plan to wait until May or June. So my retrieval was in January, like January 7th. And we had agreed like, let's wait until May or June because we had, (laughs) I love my husband. He's a hunter. So we had to plan this around hunting season. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so we, you know, and that's kind of the beauty of IVF is you can like plan out when you're going to have your baby. So we had chosen May or June. And then 
we had a conversation. He was like, hey, I don't want to wait. Like, let's do this. And I was totally on board with that. And so we moved it up to April. And so what happened is I'm coming off of the meds in January into February. And then I'm right back on them two weeks later. Because if you're Mm. doing a transfer in April, you're on meds end of February, beginning of March. Got it. So I had basically two weeks of not injecting myself and taking pills and feeling a little clarity. And then I went right back into hell. And I think that's why this year was so hard is because it just felt never ending. And then also every clinic again is different, but CCRM requires you to be on your medication until you're 10 weeks pregnant. Whoa. (sighs) Yeah. Didn't know that until it was like happening. Right. And I thought, oh, I'm off the meds once I get pregnant. No, in order to keep the pregnancy, because you have Got to keep it. tricking your body, you have to stay on this till you're 10 weeks. I mean, it was just, it was never ending. So it was basically from April until the beginning of June that I was, you know, on these drugs. I was pregnant, but I was also, so I'm on pregnancy hormones naturally and injecting myself with progesterone, estrogen. And this Lupron in the beginning that was sending me into menopause. What a <laughs> mess. Yeah. It all just sounds so... I know. Doesn't like, it make you really want to do this? <laughs> yeah. Definitely hesitation. I definitely... So here's the thing. I want to be clear. I, one, am not... I'm not here to project my experience onto anyone. Right. I have heard people have different experiences. So that's part of it. And I also really don't believe in going into something with fear. But I mean, you know me, my whole thing is transparency. I just don't believe that there is enough honest information in the world. And I think many women especially are very scared to talk about this. And it's like a sense of, especially if you're dealing with infertility in your own body, is like, I did something wrong. This is my fault. You know, I need to be strong and just handle this. I can't let anyone see how hard this is for me or how weak I feel. For sure. And all valid, right? Like, I totally understand that. And at the same time, if we do not have these conversations, we go in blind and don't know what is possible. And I think we put ourselves at a very big disadvantage. And it's just, it feels like the system just continues to get to lie to us. And then we lie to each other. And then how do we ever have support or understand what the process looks like so that we feel equipped for what's about to come. When it comes to getting the best sleep, perhaps you've thought about blackout blinds or cooling the temperature in your room and even supplements that you can take at night and all of these things matter. But have you thought about your actual bedding? Cozy Earth has the softest fabric guaranteed, premium 100% viscose from bamboo fabric that feels like a cloud. Plus it's the perfect sleeping temperature. They have temperature regulating and moisture wicking fabric that's going to keep you comfy and it's going to keep you cool. It feels significantly less humid and much cooler than cotton. And what's really great is that Cozy Earth prides themselves on the ethical production of all Cozy Earth products. If you are looking for something to gift yourself this holiday season, I definitely recommend checking out Cozy Earth. They have beautiful bedding, bath, as well as bamboo loungewear for women and for men. Head on over to CozyEarth.com. You can use the coupon code wellness and save 35% off site-wide. And you can keep using that code during the holiday season. It's not just on one order and they do ship internationally. So again, head on over to CozyEarth.com, use the coupon code wellnesswitch, and that will save you 35% off their beautiful luxury bedding and bath products. Okay, let's go back to just because I want to understand birth control. Like, Mm -hmm. why are they giving you birth control? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know the like exact scientific explanation, but from my understanding is that because it suppresses your hormones and keeps you from like having your cycle or ovulating, they're basically able to control your ovulation and cycle and also your hormone levels so that when you come off the birth control and then they pump you with all the other drugs, it basically spikes things, helps the eggs mature and helps increase the number that they're able to get. Wow. But yeah. ultimately, you didn't have to be on it. Correct. You were saying, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I think that 
because I know I can get pregnant because all of my numbers and everything checked out perfectly other than I do have a blocked left fallopian tube. We did discover that in this whole process, but that doesn't matter for IVF because they're pulling the eggs out. It doesn't have to go through the fallopian tube. Right. Because everything on my end was clear, I didn't need to do that part of the process. Got it. For people who maybe have a low egg count or other things going on, then maybe that's why they require it because they're having to, you know, pump your body to make your body produce something that may not necessarily be ready to or, you know, be prepared for. Right. So you got pregnant pretty quickly. Yeah. First round. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> I know like so many women who go through like seven, eight, nine rounds. That is a lot to put your body through. Yeah. We had friends that they went, I think it was their 10th round. They just had a baby. Hmm. And I, this was the worst year. Like there are no words for what it felt like. And I would not wish this on anyone. And if you're someone listening who is dealing with infertility in any shape or form, it doesn't matter why or who, or it's not about that. This is, it's just so difficult. And to put your body through all of this, to have this like little miracle, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's like glorified and, you know, romanticized. It's like, oh, we're doing this thing. We're making a baby. Yay. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, all the like, the videos of women going through IVF or whatever it is. And they're like all the needles and like, look, I'm doing this thing. And yes, I get that. And I don't think we see the shadow side enough of like what this looks like and what it does to you. And I just, I have such respect for people who go through this. I mean, even Connor last night, we were planning to have two kids. So ideally go through IVF twice Right. And I'm 34. And that means I'll be having my second kid near 40, which is fine. It's just not necessarily what I had planned. And right. he goes, I think I want a third. And I was like, I think you can fuck all the way off. <laughs> so <Totally. yeah. laughs> Cause it's just, it's not just having a baby. It's not like yeah. other people who can just get pregnant, you know? Right. Yeah. There's so much that goes into it. And no, I don't resent anyone who can get pregnant naturally. Like that's not the point. It's just, there's so much more that goes into this process for people for sure. like us than someone who's just getting pregnant naturally. And I think I was telling someone the other day, like this process and just being pregnant in general has really showed me how women are expected to just give their bodies away to be vessels for babies. And I've wanted to be a mom since I was a very little girl. Like, this is my purpose in life. I am very clear on that. Like, this is mm -hmm. the one thing I feel equipped for. <laughs> and that being said, I still feel like the whole narrative around you just, like, need to give yourself up and, like, be the martyr and, like, oh, my husband wants three kids. Like, here's my okay. body. Like, here, right. take it. Like, it's fine. You know? Right. And, like, we haven't really been having that much sex. And he feels uncomfortable because his, like, dick is near the baby. And it's just, like... <sighs> There's just so many things and I need to have sex, man. Like I need it <laughs> and I'm dying over here. And it's like, <laughs> you want me to do this two more times? Right. Like years of this. Yeah. And I'm just expected to say yes. Not that he just expects me to say yes, obviously, but I'm just saying in general, I just feel like society right. is like, oh, well, you're a woman and you're of childbearing age. Like you're supposed to just do this thing and like deal with the stretch marks and getting huge and weird cravings and like throwing up all the time and, you know, not having sex and not feeling connected to your body and being really tired. Like all these things were just like, go do it. And I'm like, I think there needs to be a more of a conversation so that women feel like they're not just giving themselves away for, sure. for this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And having a partner who could like really hold the space for it. Mm-hmm. That's really huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that most people do. It's true. And I think, I mean, as, as great as Connor is and as, you know, enlightened as my husband is or would like mm -hmm. to think he is, yeah, we should have been in therapy from day one. Like, we didn't go to therapy until I think I was 12 weeks pregnant. And that was a huge mistake. 
because he did not know how to hold space for me. And he was losing his mind, watching Mm. me lose my mind. And I remember he said to me, I don't remember what part of the process we were in, but I was definitely on hormones. And he, we were fighting one of those fights where you like follow each other to different rooms in the house. (laughs) It's like the fight that will never end. We ended up in the gym in the garage at one point. And (laughs) he just looks at me and he goes, it was like the thing he couldn't say for so long. And he finally got the courage to say it. And he goes, I feel like we just got married and I don't know where my wife went and Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's coming back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel the same way. And totally. it was so interesting because we were both having the same experience with me. Yeah. But we were both so scared to say it. Yes. And I wish that we had had support earlier on in a therapist or a coach because he felt like he couldn't say anything. He was walking on eggshells because I was screaming at him all the time for like no reason. Right. Usually. Sometimes it was totally valid. Um, (laughs) But usually it was for no reason because I felt just out of control. I was spinning. I didn't even feel like I was in my body. So I'm projecting onto him and he doesn't know Mm -hmm. how to have a conversation with me. So then we're just at odds and it's not healthy. And I think that it's so important whether you're going through IVF or not, it doesn't matter. Like if you don't know how to hold space for yourself, hold space for your partner, You need to find someone that can teach you that, that can help you facilitate that. 100%. Because at the end of the day, everything's communication. And if we had had better communication and been more prepared for what this would look like, I think we would have had, you know, a relatively different experience. So I would, yeah, definitely recommend that for people. For sure. And I think it's like, obviously, like you're both so valid to feel the ways that you were feeling. It's like almost grieving that that person who I was like, is, is she gone? Like, she's just, is she coming back? Is she no longer like, is this it now? Right. It's like, you don't know you're kind of in it. So you don't even know what to expect. So it's kind of like this grieving process kind of a bit of like that person's is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you'll appreciate this. I had done so much work on myself to be grounded, to you know, surrender, to let go, to be connected to my body, to heal trauma. And then all of a sudden it felt like I was just like thrown into hell with all those things that I had already worked on and been like, JK, you can go back to the beginning now. I'm like, wait, what about all the work and progress I made over the last four or five years? Like, what about all the ayahuasca and mushrooms? Do those not count anymore? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Totally. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely is. So since you came off the drugs like 10 weeks into pregnancy and then these last few months of like, how, how have you felt? Yeah. Um, the roller coaster has continued. Um, mm-hmm. My first trimester was really brutal. I was throwing up all day, every day. Mm. Did a lot of working from bed, a lot of sleeping. I still felt pretty unstable throughout the first trimester. And then... I hit about 14 or 15 weeks and I felt the clouds lift. And I remember I I hadn't worked out either. I basically didn't work out all year until I hit like 15 or 16 weeks because I couldn't. My body was just dead. And I remember being in the gym for the first time and I was working out and I was just blaring music and I was dancing. I was like, oh my God, there she is. (laughs) Like sweet relief. (laughs) Um, and Connor was so happy. I remember I had like posted an Instagram story and I was like, this is the best I have felt in seven months. I feel like myself. This feels so amazing. And he like walked down to the gym and he saw it. He's like, I'm so happy for you. Oh, and you know, it was just, it was like reprieve for him too. Um, cause he got to see me, see me again. Yeah. And it gave him a little light at the end of the tunnel. And I think the other hard part about the first trimester is that I gained weight quickly. So I was throwing up a lot, but I was also mostly eating burritos. And (laughs) I'm not a burrito eater normally. Um, I was just, I only wanted greasy fat, like Chipotle and just bad food, uh, pizza. And so that's what I was eating. and, And I shamed myself for that, I had an eating disorder, you know, in like around 19, my early 20s, when I had to quit playing volleyball because I was just like needing control. And 
I got really skinny and I haven't really weighed myself much since I healed from that because the scale just it fucks with me. Totally. And so I just am like, I don't need to weigh myself. Also, who cares? Like the number doesn't matter. It's like how I feel. feel and right. I remember when I saw that I had gained 12 pounds in a couple weeks and I started to spiral and I mm. was like, oh no. Like, first of all, I don't want to gain a ton of weight during this pregnancy. Like I'm happy to obviously gain weight to create a baby, but I'm a healthy, active person. So that really matters to me. And I just started to shame myself so much and I started Mm. to feel really bad and I started to have thoughts around restricting. And I'm really grateful because I've been in therapy. um, Basically, I think I started with my therapist just one-on-one again um, around 15 or 16 weeks. And I brought it to her immediately. And I said, I'm really struggling with the weight I'm gaining, the way my body is changing. I've received validation for how I look my whole life and it's really messing with me. And so we talked through that and she was really able to help me shift my perspective into gaining weight is healthy and I'm doing this for myself and my baby. And so I squashed that pretty quickly, but that was really uncomfortable. You know, it's like those old things that just start popping up. So I think that was difficult. And then just like sexually shifting. My vagina was dry as fuck in the first trimester. (laughs) It was like a goddamn desert. (laughs) Um, And then, and I just didn't really have much sex drive. So it was like, Connor would want to have sex. And I'm like, I got to go get the lube. I literally cannot function without this. (laughs) So much of it, (laughs) just so much. (laughs) It was like a freaking slip and slide over here after that. Uh. And then second trimester, I was, you know, like wet again and it felt like normal. And my sex drive came back really strong for about a month. And then it's sort of kind of come and gone since then. And then now we're dealing with, I mentioned earlier, like, He's kind of uncomfortable with it, which right. he swore to me he wouldn't be. He's probably going to kill me if he ever heard this podcast. So no one DM Connor. Yeah, um, don't tell him. <laughs> but I do think this is important to talk about. He was like, I would never like stop having sex with you because you're pregnant or because the, there's a baby in there. Like, it's cool, whatever. And then all of a sudden one day he, he sat me down and he's like, hey, like, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, I'm having a little bit of a hard time with the whole like penis inside of you with my baby in there. And I said, well, (laughs) you do know that you're not like touching the baby, right? (laughs) He's like, yeah, but like it's in there and it's kind of close and, you know, and then like we'll have sex and the baby will be kicking while my husband is fucking me. And like, then that messes with my head. Cause I'm like, this is so weird. Weird, Totally. Kind of like the Madonna horror complex, right? Like, I mean, you know, we have a show called OK Babe. Like, we talk a lot about sex. So I'm very mm-hmm. open about this. Like, I kind of want to be called a whore and, like, spanked and do the thing. But now I'm, like, the mom and I'm, like, carrying our child. And I'm totally. it's very confusing. I'm, like, who am I? Am I the mother or am I, like, the hot little slut getting fucked? You know? Yeah. It's, like, it's just, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> so oh, and inappropriate. I just, I'm sorry. No, it's so good. It's so good. I love that we're going here. I love that you can go here and share this because I know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of women that are listening to this who are like, she's saying exactly what is going in, like what I'm saying to myself in my head right now, but I'm so scared to say it out loud because of judgment. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just, I think that... Like there's just so many chapters and iterations of our bodies and our emotions while we're pregnant, whether you go through IVF or not. And I think one thing that Connor and I have done relatively well since we went in therapy and then I was off the hormones and have been a little more stable in myself is that we've just been really honest with each other. Like I I commend him so much for sitting me down in a very calm way and saying, hey, I'm having a little bit of a hard time with this. Like I was so proud of him. I I bust totally. out crying. That's and huge. Was like, you don't want me. And I like Aww. did my whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. But I was also so grateful and so proud of him for speaking up for himself and also not letting me think that it was because he's not attracted to me or he thinks totally. I'm gross or fat or whatever. He was yeah. very clear. Like, I'm attracted to you. I want to do this with you. 
I'm having a little bit of an internal confusion right now. Yeah. And so I think that just being open about that and I've done the same thing, you know, there have been times where I basically never say no to sex because I'm always like, I have a higher sex drive. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. But there have been times where he's come to me and he's like, we got to go. And I'm like, I can't, like, I'm in pain. I feel really heavy. Like this just doesn't feel good. I'm not in a space to do this. And even if he's frustrated because I am just honest and just really pragmatic and grounded about it, he receives it. And he's like, okay, I understand. Totally. So I think that just being able to do that and practice that with your partner, even before you get pregnant and just having that foundation is really important so that when shit does hit the fan and ultimately it will in one way or another, you can have that conversation without attacking each other, without taking things personally and saying, hey, this is just where I am. It's not a reflection of you. Like, I love you. You're my person. I want to have sex with you, but I'm just personally struggling a little bit right now. And can we revisit this later? And I think that takes a lot of pressure off of both parties to totally. not perform or do something that they're not comfortable with. Like, I've definitely had sex during this pregnancy that I didn't want to have, like this obligatory, like, wow, we haven't done it in a while. We need to do it. Right. And I just, I feel like it's better to just be honest, like, hey, I'm not there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that the clinic, they don't like recommend therapists or it's just, that's crazy to me. Like you're going through the most challenging time. Yeah. And it's not even recommended. How about this? This is going to piss you off so much. I bet. Okay. So I'm on the Lupron and I think it was before the transfer, not the retrieval. And I'm having a really hard time, like uncontrollable sobbing, really rageful outbursts. It was really scary. And I told Connor, I'm like, I need to tell them that they need to pull me off of this or give me a different dose. And so we went in for our appointment and we sat down with our nurse. We loved our nurse. She was amazing, but she didn't get to like make any decisions, which sucked. (laughs) Right. So we told the nurse, I was like, Hey, I'm feeling really sick. This is what it's doing to me. I really think we need to change the dose or get off of it. I, I cannot handle this anymore. She's like, okay, I'll let the doctor know. And then we go in to see the doctor and she's like, okay, explain to me what's going on. And I tell her and she was like, yeah, so you're too far in and I I can't do anything for you. That was it. That's literally all she said. She didn't say, okay, so you're having suicidal thoughts and you're feeling really sick and you're having rageful outbursts. Like, have you been to acupuncture? Are you in therapy? She did not ask me one question. (sighs) It was like, sorry, too far in. Keep going. You've got this. I'm like... (laughs) What is this? That's that's really <laughs> fucked up. It's, it's not so okay. Bad. It's so not okay. Yeah. Like, how do you send a patient out of your office with that response? And thank God I do have the community like you were talking about. Thank God I do have a husband who, although annoyed many times, is like has my back and is going to protect me and keep me safe. Totally. You know, how many people don't have that though? I know. How many women don't have resources, don't have tools, don't know how to meditate, have never journaled, haven't done the work. And I'm not talking shit on them. I'm just saying like, that's the majority of the world. Yep. And you just expect them to like go through it and just be robots. And like, this is what we do. Like, I don't think that that makes any sense. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah. So in terms of self-advocacy. I mean, I don't even want to use the term like hindsight, but I know that there's a lot that you've learned along the way and so that your next experience can be different. So looking back in hindsight, what sort of questions would you have asked or at least moving forward now in the next round that you know to ask and that, you know, other other women can be aware of? Yeah. I think the first thing, and we really should have done this, is to make sure you have a good rapport and connection with your doctor. My doctor was kind and she's very good at her job, but I felt no emotional connection or support from her. And I think that I should have probably interviewed multiple different doctors there just to get a feel and have different options. So that's the first thing I would do. 
The second thing I would do is also probably go to some other clinics that maybe take a more holistic approach, especially because I am not dealing with infertility personally. Right. So there is a place here, I can't remember what it's called, but they have a more holistic approach and they still have very high success rates. Unfortunately, Connor found this place after we were already in the process because Mm -hmm. he was just like, I can't let you do this again. And so he started researching and found this place and it's fucking in Denver. And I'm just like, oh my God. So I would probably go there before we do this again, just to interview them and see how different their process is and see, you know, the emotional support. I also know that we don't have to do another retrieval. So the December through March terrible experience I had is done. We're not doing that again. So really, it's just the transfer experience. So I'm hoping that because we're cutting three or four months out of this process and the extra hormones and not doing birth control, that I'll have a much more easeful experience the second time around. Right. But I also, in terms of like something like Lupron, I would ask, hey, do I have to do the dosage that you recommend or is there another option? Because this was my experience last time. I don't really feel like the progesterone and the estrogen patches and injections were a huge issue for me. I mean, obviously they make you kind of crazy, but I think it was really the birth control and the Lupron that had the biggest impact. So I would go in and say very specifically, these were the experiences I had. And this is, you know, are there other options? Are there ways we can handle this differently? And then I think just, you know, having awareness going the second time through is like, you kind of have a little more knowledge and context. You know, and also I think the thing that really screwed with me and probably screws with a lot of people is if you don't already have a child, like there's no guarantee you're going to have a kid. So I'm hoping that we have a child and that I remember why I'm doing this and I have a kid. So it's less pressure. And also you see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's right in front of you. Yeah. I think when you don't have that and it just feels like this is never going to end, it's really hard to see any silver lining, any light at the end of the tunnel, have any faith because you're just like reaching for this goal that is it there? (laughs) Does it exist? Yeah. So I think those are the things. And then I think just asking questions about medications, how they'll affect you, what kind of support they offer. I'm not someone who likes support groups because I don't like to be in a room full of people just projecting onto one another and like not really taking action. And I learned that during my chronic illness days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that that's one part, but just having trusted people you can rely on. We did have a friend who went through IVF. Um, they ended up getting pregnant naturally after a couple rounds. And I did call her eventually because I was like, I need you to tell me I'm not crazy. So having someone that can validate your experience, but also not project their experience onto you and having friends who, even if they're not going through this, can remind you of who you are and telling them like, I literally told the girls, like, I don't want to be married to Connor. I don't even like him. I need you to remind me why I got married. (laughs) And they'd be like, okay, so here's why we love Connor. (laughs) And like listed it out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he is kind of (laughs) great. So I think just asking for what you need, speaking up for yourself. If something doesn't make sense or it feels uncomfortable for you, say something. You know, it's I think that we're so scared to make someone uncomfortable or to ruffle feathers or to question authority. Totally. It's okay. Like, it is okay. They're, I mean, these people are doctors, highly trained in many ways. And I w- wouldn't say that across the board is like a blanket statement, but many of them are. And I think they really do have good intentions, but they're very systematic in their approach. And I think oftentimes they forget that we're people and we have emotions and this is hard. And yeah. it's just like they see so many patients a day. I think we have to advocate for ourselves to slow them down and say, hey, I'm not OK with this. We need to look at this differently or totally. I'm not just going to be like all your other patients. We have to have a different approach. And I just, I don't think that we need to walk around with shame and guilt in advocating for ourselves. Totally. That was really beautifully said. Thank you. Awesome. So the postpartum plan. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's hard to plan, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) as you've envisioned it in your head, (laughs) what does it look like? So I think the baby's going to come early. I just have like this Mm. weird feeling. When is your due date? I'm not sharing. 
publicly. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell problem. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you privately. Um, sure. Yeah. So there are some things I just have to keep to myself. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But we're due this winter and I think the baby's going to come early. I just have this like weird feeling and I could be totally wrong. Of course, like we could go 42 weeks and that be it. But I am doing my best to prepare so that I'm ready three weeks before the due date to be completely on maternity leave, which when you're around the holidays, it's making it a little easier for us. But in terms of like work, I mean, obviously you're a client of ours, you know this, but I run a company called Soul Fire Productions and mm-hmm. we do podcast production for about 35 shows. And I have still very much been the face of the company at the center of it. I do, you know, most of our client acquisition, onboarding, all of that. And I just brought on, we haven't announced this to everyone, but Ariel, who does a lot of project management for us, we actually are bringing her on full-time starting in November, which I'm really excited about. Amazing. Because, I mean, one, it's time for a lot of reasons, but two, I just felt like Sam, our COO, is going to need support while I'm gone. My plan is to be gone for eight weeks minimum once the baby comes. And I know that if I have two people I trust implicitly, who I have trained, who understand the ins and outs of the business, are amazing client facing, understand a client acquisition, they think very similar to me, I trust them to make decisions, all of those things. I think it'll just give me such relief being gone and it will allow me to actually take a step back. I have very controlling (laughs) tendencies, which are being tested right now. and. You know, I just, I have to know that I'm preparing everyone and creating the best foundation possible for the company so that things don't just like crumble and fall apart while I'm gone. And also just putting my trust and my, you know, I know that these people are fully equipped to handle this. It's the reason I hired them. And I think this is a really great opportunity for me to let other people handle more and delegate and so I'm just, I'm going about it with that approach. And then in terms of other things that are not work related. So Connor and I run the company together and we both work from home. And so we are super fortunate that he can be here. We can hand off the baby, you know, Amazing. as we need to. And he doesn't have to go into an office, which is really great. And then we also have a great birth team. We have a midwife and a doula and a birth coach who we're working with remotely. And then Connor's mom will probably be here for a couple weeks to help. She wants to be here for the birth. So we're planning Mm. for that. We're doing a home birth and then she'll be here to help and, you know, do whatever we need. And then I have friends that will probably come through, you know, one at a time. So I feel like we've set this up in a very village mentality, (laughs) Um, which is great. Yeah. Because I just, this is the one thing I've heard from so many moms is they just didn't have enough help. And like people will come over and want to hold the baby and then like just leave. And I'm like, no, if you want to come over, you're doing a load of laundry, you're cleaning my dishes, you're holding my baby so I can take a nap, not so totally. we can like chit chat. You're cooking um, me dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And make me dinner, please. <laughs> Seriously. And I think that that's really fair. And we have so many amazing friends who, you know, think the same way we do in that way. So I have, you know, no fear that people are going to show up for us and I can ask for what I need if that means like, Hey, Katie, can you massage my feet? Like Katie will fucking massage my feet and do it (laughs) gladly. Right. Cause like I I would do the same thing for her. Um, so I think it's really cool that we've been, you know, fortunate enough to have friends like that, to set that up, to have these incredible, you know, birth workers and team around us, but you know, TBD, it could be a complete shit show. So that's my plan (laughs) now. Talk to me in six months. Oh, well, that's awesome. That's, that sounds great. I'm very excited for you. And thank you again so much for just being so transparent and so open about this entire process. And I know that there's going to be so many women that are going to benefit from listening to this. So thank thank you. you. Thank you so much. So not that you're necessarily all over social media and you'll probably be quiet in the next few months anyways. Where can our listeners connect with you and find you if if they want to hear more? And I know like you have a podcast or actually you don't anymore, right? You're, you're done with yours. Yeah. I ended mine. I think I've been having the, um, I've been having the itch the last few days. I bet. I (laughs) bet. (laughs) 
I'm like, yeah. I ended the podcast because we were going into IVF. And I knew, nice. like, I also have a podcast with Connor. I was telling you guys earlier called OK Babe. And it's all relationships, but it's way more fun. It's like a hobby podcast. It's not right. like something we do, you know, religiously or professionally by any means. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we kept OK Babe going throughout the year. But I ended my show at the end of last year because, I mean, as you know, like podcasts can be very emotionally draining. I like did a lot of processing on the show and sharing my life similar to what I did today. And I just knew something had to give if I was going to run Soulfire, have OK Babe, you know, try and be a wife and get pregnant all at the same time. So I ended it. But the last few days I've been like, hmm, I think the podcast is coming back post baby because I feel like I have a lot of things to say and I actually have the energy to put emotion into things again and, you know, talk about all these changes and all of that. So my show, my show was the Kelly show TBD of what it will be in the next iteration. You can still listen to that. And then yeah. Okay, babe, you can listen to, and I'm on Instagram at Kelly T Moore and then Soulfire Productions Co and soulfireproductionsco.com. You can find out more about all of our services and all the things we do and our amazing clients like you. Amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for being here and for your time today. Thank you, babe. Thank you so much, everyone, for being with us today and tuning in. If you would like to connect with Kelly, you can do so over on Instagram at Kelly T. Moore or find her on her website at kellymore.co. Thanks again for being with us. I really hope you enjoyed our episode today. And if there's anybody that you know that can benefit, please share this episode with them. I'll chat with you all next week. Have an awesome day.